Lord, I thank you so much for your great love for us and for all the information and the truth that you've revealed to us in your word. And I just pray, Lord, that each one of us in this room will hide that word in our heart, that we will trust you and we will make sure that that word is alive in us. I pray for your spirit now as we conclude our series here. And I pray that you will bless in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Okay. Turn in your homework. Oh. Homework. You had homework. Did anybody do it? I have diet Dr. Pepper every so often. I'm just confessing. And I went to Meyer yesterday getting just stuff that we still needed. And I walked fast and didn't get one. Hey. So. Good. Okay. And those things that were, um, whatever it is, I'm going to say in the world, things that are not a part of Christ should not be a part of Christian living that we've developed in our lives over the years are going to pull against the spirit. So what do we need to do? How do we react to that pull? Who, what? Wait, wait, wait. Someone say that loudly. Okay. Remember our three? Put yourself under the authority of your superior officer. Submit. By doing that, you've turned your back. That's the resist. You're not standing there and saying, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> By turning your back, you're resisting because now the devil is looking at Jesus. But you're focusing on Jesus. And then you draw an eye to God. You desire his presence. It's like my daughter coming in. Can I lay with you, mommy? She wanted my presence, and there's comfort and there's security there. If you are justified, which means? Justified, never sin. Okay. Amen. If you are justified, when does that take place? Immediately. In the moment. In the moment, what do you have to do to become justified? Yes. Receive Jesus, right? Yes. So when you are justified, how much of your sin remains in you? No. I didn't hear that. None. How much how much of your sin remains in you? None. How much does it remain in you, Doug? None. How about you? None. How about you? None. How about your guilt? How much guilt do you have? How much guilt do you have? None. 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 What do you do when you start feeling guilty again? What's that? Praise God for forgiving you. That's Amen. it. Amen. You praise God for forgiving you. Is God bringing back your past? You have to recognize who's doing what. Does God allow the past to come back? No. Absolutely. Because it deepens your repentance. Mm -hmm. Having your past come back to your mind is not necessarily a bad thing. Because it's to deepen your repentance. You're right, Lord. I am so thankful that that was taken care of at the cross. And you... You exchanged your righteousness for that guilt, that sin. There's an exchange. When I confessed my sins and they were forgiven, they were just kind of out there. They're just kind of out there, right? But they're not just out there. They went to Jesus. Jesus took them upon himself. When I lay my sins on the Lamb of God... My guilt is transferred to the Lamb, and through the high priest goes into the sanctuary. 
And that's where it stays until someone has to cleanse it. It's an exchange. Your guilt, your sin, for his righteousness, his purity, his power. Do you understand? Wonderful. Okay. So, Steps to Christ. By the way, how many of you read Steps to Christ? Steps to Christ, page 52. Now that you have given yourself to Jesus, do not draw back. How many of you are going to draw back? None. None. Not me, right? Do not take yourself away from him, but day by day say, let's say it, I am Christ. Day by day say this, The reason we say these things aloud is because somebody else can hear us. And when you say, I am Christ's, he hears it. You are making a declaration of faith, and you are claiming Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that puts him in the background. So that's why when you're you're feeling bummed, sing, sing aloud. Because what does that do to him? Pushes him away. I have given myself to him and ask him to give you his spirit and to keep you by his grace. When we do a week of prayer in an academy, we have this four by eight banner. It says, I am Christ. We invite the students throughout the week to come up and put their name on it. If I had one, we could do it, but there would be no place to keep it here. So anyway, I am Christ. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't have any church background until I was about 11 years old. And um, when my mom married dad number four, this is dad number four right there, I was 12. My step-grandma, who was the mother to dad number three, let me tell you real quick, dad number one was my biological dad. He was a sailor, and he didn't know my mother was pregnant with me when he divorced her, and so I never met him. He died. I never met him. But I did meet a brother. I met my mamaw. They're from the south, Arkansas. And so I I do have a little bit of root there. Dad number two was abusive. He beat my mother when she was pregnant with a sister. He kicked her down a flight of stairs and almost caused her to lose the baby. Could have lost her life as well. We didn't know that sister because she was going through a a real difficult time and her doctor advised her to give that child up for adoption. And that's what she did. We met that sister in 1990. Dad number three was actually nice to us. I mean, he provided well for us. He was just a little greedy. And he and a a couple friends of his held up Federal Savings and Loan Corporation in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in our house on a Sunday night, we were watching the wonderful world of Disney in black and white. I was seven. There was a knock at the door, and back in those days, children could go answer the door, right? So I went to open the door, and there was a man standing there, and he asked if my daddy was home, and I said, yes, he is. And my dad and his friend were sitting in the kitchen. Now, the homes had those arched entries from living room into the kitchen. They had the table was in the kitchen. So he's sitting at the kitchen table like this. Here's the archway. The front door is right there. So he peers around that wall to see who's looking for him. 
Well, the man at the door saw him and he pushed his way through and there he said, he had this little card that he flashed and he says, FBI, we want to talk with you. So my stepdad and his friend took off running through the house. They went down the hall and you know, there was a hallway right here. I could see them running. There was agents coming in the back door. <laughs> my, my dad slid under my bed and they pulled him out. They handcuffed both of them. They handcuffed my mother and escorted them out to waiting cars. And then um, some people came in, officers I guess, and took us children to a separate place. Now I, can, I understand what those children are feeling at the border, being separated from their parents. My little brother and I were taken to a, uh, like a foster care facility. It wasn't a home. It was more like a convent or something. Um, I, I don't know what, what you would call it, but like an orphanage, I guess. And they separated us. They took me to one part, and they took my brother to another. He was about four or five, I think. And they had these bars that closed, and he broke free. I, this is such a vivid memory of mine. He grabbed onto those bars while the, the nurse or whoever she was was trying to pull him away, and he's going, sissy, sissy. And we stayed there for three days until they cleared my mother. Well, Grandma Peggy was mother to dad number three, the one who was in the prison. And she took us to Sabbath school. She was a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, go figure. She took us to Sabbath school, and she was the one who introduced us to Jesus. She made arrangements for a Bible worker to come to our house, and he had this film strip projector. <laughs> we don't see those anymore. <laughs> and he showed pictures on our wall. And I can remember where the children are sitting on the floor. My mom and dad are on the couch, and Dale is doing the Bible study. I don't remember a thing he said. All I remember was the picture of Jesus coming again. And in my little 11-year-old heart, I wanted to be with Jesus. I wanted that. There was something about Jesus coming and seeing him on that cloud and with that crown. Now, keep in mind, this is a 1958 model picture, but still, it made an impression upon me. I wanted to be ready. I wanted to. Now, when we were baptized, we were baptized as a family. And so my mother decided, you know what? Our lives are going to be different. We're not living the same life we used to. So I had a new dad. Um, I have a new religion. We're now eating veggie burger and rubber hot dogs. And, you know, we, we go to church on Saturday. Okay? Now, it's time, though, that we build a spiritual house. See, there's one thing about wanting to be with Jesus and getting baptized but there's another thing about building a spiritual house, okay? So my stepdad provided for us. They bought a house, and, and we were living fine in that house. But we needed to build a spiritual house. The Bible says it this way. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Each one of us is a spiritual house. And I hope that your home is a spiritual house. In our home, it was kind of a challenge because we had television. 
and we had all different kinds of things that distracted, and we were not used to it, okay? So, just like a blended family, my, my stepdad had no children, so he married my mother who had four. What a brave man. You know, my brother was 13, and I'm coming up on 12, so that makes us teens, preteens, right? With attitudes. So Bible study, this is how we, this is the foundation of your spiritual house, is Bible study. Now, um, many of you may or may not have a, developed a habit of spending time in the Word. You may have, in your devotional life, many wonderful books that you will read, devotional books or, or some other spiritual books that you will read. May I take a liberty here? I mean, we've been friends for a week now. Um, may I make a suggestion that you set those books aside for other reading purposes and use your Bible for your devotional time? Amen. Is that all right? Now, what I have done in my Bible study devotional time, when I'm reading along in a devotional book in the afternoon or whatever, if there is something that strikes me, I'm going to get a post-it note, write it down, put the verse that it's referring to on the post-it note, and stick it in that place so that when I come back to do my Bible study, that's going to remind me of what I read. And I might even put a note there of how it impressed me. So that's one thing you can do for your Bible study time. <clears throat> John, okay, who remembers this verse? Don't look on the screen. Close your eyes. Ready? John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. How do we get to know him? Bible study. The word. The word. Remember, he is the word. His name is the word of God. So by spending time in here, you are spending time in him. What? I I visit a prison on Wednesdays up in the UP. And I have five Seventh-day Adventists in there. And so my first time going in there, they want to know how to defend their faith against the Baptists and all these other folks. And I recognize just by that question that they need to spend time with Jesus. Because Jesus can defend himself. Amen? So I said, well, listen, this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to read John 17, 3. And I want you to spend time with God and get to know him because this is the bottom line, is knowing God. And so and that seems really elementary to us. But you'll be surprised how many of our folks don't know God. And if you've ever been in any board meetings, you'll realize they don't know God. Okay? Amen. And so uh, the second week I went back there, they were different. They were different. I said, what have you been doing? Well, we've been spending time knowing God. I said, okay, that's great. Now this week, I want you to spend a thoughtful hour each day with Jesus and get to know him and apply the gospels to your own life. The third week I came back, they were totally changed people. They weren't griping and complaining and moping around. They were happy, joyful, and it was on their faces. I said, you guys, what are you doing? Your countenance has changed. 
We've been, and they're, they're all staying together now. We're, we've been spending a thoughtful hour each day with Jesus. I said, praise the Lord, all right. So that's, that's what we need to do in our Bible study. The title of today's presentation is How to Keep It Alive, right? So many times we go to an evangelistic series or we go through some spiritual meetings or something, we go away and then we lose it, right? Well, how do you keep it alive? Right here. All right. Now, growing in grace, 2 Peter 3.18, but growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing in grace means that you're in constant agreement with Him. Grow in constant agreement with Christ. Constant agreement means that you're continually going to submit your will to His. As you do that, you're going to find out that it was His will that was your will. Your, your will becomes His will. Does, do you understand that? Am I saying that? Sometimes I mess up my words. That's right. His will becomes our will. We, we work in unity. And why? it took me a while to even understand what they're talking about when they would, I'd hear this. This whole controversial thing, you know, it sounds like, well, man, he wants so much from me. Well, yeah, that's how he's going to keep you safe. It's like you tell your child, as long as you stay right here with me, as long as you're holding on to my hand and I've got a hold of you. And by the way, don't you hold your child in a way more securely than that child holds on to you? Absolutely. As long as th that child is with you, you know he's safe, you can protect him. That's why Jesus says that you need to come unto me, keep my commandments. My commandments are a hedge about you. That's a protective barrier against Satan. It's all in him, and he, he has our best good in mind. Well, our family attempted to have worship, but there was um, attitudes between the kids and, sorry, folks, my ding-donger. When I first got this phone, it was like 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, doorbell rang, and I told my husband, I said, somebody's at the door. We don't have a doorbell. <laughs> it's my phone. <laughs> but this, this, you know, my, my stepdad wanted to start taking this priesthood leadership role in our family. So he'd call us together. It's time for worship. And we were going, oh. It was so painful. That meant we had to turn the television off. We had to stop what we were doing. If we were playing outside, we had to stop and come in and wash and sit there while he read the Bible. So it wasn't very successful. And because we had this attitude, we discouraged our parents, and they quit. It was easier than fighting with us, right? I wanted to um, be ready for Jesus to come. I wanted, remember, I wanted that. I love that picture, but I didn't want the fitness for it. I wanted the title. I did not want the fitness. And sometimes that's where we are. He says, they come together as my people come. They hear my words, but they will not do them. Sad, isn't it? Yeah, let's not be in that category. I didn't understand Sabbath keeping. To me, back in the olden days, folks, it was all presented as rules to my young heart. Jesus was not the center of Sabbath keeping. To me, it was you can't do anything on Friday night to Saturday night. And I looked forward to Saturday night. 
I wanted to be involved in the drill team in my high school. And I wanted to go to those games and stuff and go to the dances. Nope, we're Seventh-day Adventists now. You can't do that. And so what happens inside a, a young person like that? Yeah? It doesn't stick. There's no relationship there. This was a Sabbath school teacher of mine, Ken Money. I don't know if I told these stories here because I did another seminar with some of these same stories. So if I did, please forgive me. You'll hear them again. He was my Sabbath school teacher. And um, I soon lost interest, didn't go anymore. So I was baptized at 12. By the time I was 15, I stopped going to church and Sabbath school. But Ken Money, this teacher, would come and visit me. All right? He would bring me the papers, come to my house. Oh, no, it's Ken Money. <laughs> and he'd tell me that, you know, the Academy kids are home this weekend. Why don't you come? We're going to have a, a veggie roast and a social over at Dr. Kuhn's house. And, and why don't you come? Okay, I'll think about it. Thanks. Clack, you know. But before he'd leave, this is what he'd say. I'm praying for you, Jody. I'm praying for you. Well, that's nice. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. When I was, by the time I was 18 years old, you know, he kept coming over. He kept checking on me. And then one time he came over and said, um, Jody, I know how much you love music. The Heritage Singers are doing a concert at church this Saturday night. Why don't you come? I thought, okay, I have nothing else to do. I'll go. Remember, I didn't have very many friends. Everybody had their own little circle of friends in our Sabbath school. And for a young person who's just new, and everything is new and unusual, and you're kind of scared and nervous. And there's all these little clusters of doctors' kids and lawyers' kids and, and you know, people who have status and nice clothes and everything. And, and I just was not included. And you know, that has something to do with why some kids leave the church. So anyway, I went to this concert. And they have some nice music, and music is going to touch my heart more than anybody preaching. Well, with a few exceptions. I mean, he does a pretty good job. But um, <laughs> they were singing this song, <clears throat> and it was like this. Someone is praying for you. Someone is praying for you. When it seems you're all alone and your heart will break in two, remember someone is praying for you. And whose voice did I have in my head? Ken Money, that's right. They gave an, they gave an appeal, and the appeal was really, I think, um, specific for me. They said, if the life that you're living is not fulfilling that void, not filling you, why don't you let Jesus have a chance? And come forward and let us pray for you. And I just came forward. It wasn't like I'm sitting there and I'm crying. It's like I was propelled, compelled, whatever you want to say, to go forward. And when I went to the front, I received Christ as my Savior. I did not know what was going to happen to me. I didn't understand what that meant. 
All I knew is that my life was empty. I was going in the wrong direction. I wasn't what you call a, well, I want to be careful. I didn't do the life that he did. I didn't live his life. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs, but I still did not have Christ. You can be just as lost in the church as someone outside the church because he who does not have Christ does not have life. I needed to build my spiritual house, but I did not know where to start. After I was baptized for the second time, I was so just so excited and I just expected the church to welcome me I expected them to put their arms around me and and tell me how happy they were that I was home the sad thing is is they never noticed I was gone and so there I am 19 18 I was almost 19 newly born Christian alone had no one no one took me under their wing no one. I, it was just me and God. That's a good place, isn't it? And so he said, okay, I'm going to take care of you. You know why people leave the church? Ezekiel says because there was no shepherd. There was no one to look out for them. But he also says, I myself will search for my sheep, and I myself will find them, and I will feed them, he says. So I told the Lord this. I had this old Bible. I said, I don't know where to start. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know anything. I am just a total, like a stand of trees, this virgin forest. I don't know anything. But I did know this, and I think it's because the Holy Spirit put it in my heart to get to know God. That's what you need to do, Jody. Get to know God. And so I said, Wherever this opens up to is where I'm going to start. And I went like this, and it opened up to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. That's where I started my journey with Christ. And what does it say? It was the first verse that I memorized. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Terminology I didn't know. This is a King James Version. But this, was, this is it. This is my Bible. It's a picture of my Bible that I underlined it. I wrote the definition. Just if I'd never sinned, not sinned. God would help me figure it out. This statement we had on Monday, Steps to Christ again. Hello, page 62. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your Savior, then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. If this is all you take with you from this whole seminar is what justification means, you'll be okay. Just as if you had never sinned. Now, I began to hunger and thirst. Do you know that that's what the Holy Spirit puts in your heart? To hunger and thirst after righteousness? After righteousness means just after more of God. Because God is righteousness. His commandments are righteous. He is righteous. And he puts that desire in you to know him. 
Why? Because the more you know him, the more of his character, his life is transferred to yours. You start to be transformed into his image. Remember, man lost that image of God in the garden. And from that point, it's been God's purpose, his work to re what I say, what does it say? To um, reinstall, re, recreate, to put, restore, that's it. To restore his image in us. And that's the lifelong process. We're stubborn. We've got a lot of baggage. We've got habits. And he has to work through those, but he can handle us. The Bible became my constant companion. And as a teenager, to go to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights was like, there's a, there's a, a youth here. I wanted to be where the word of God was being presented. I wanted to be where they were praying. I wanted to be where I could hear some words of wisdom from some of those gray hairs in our church. Right? Now, I don't have gray hair anymore. <laughs> it says, blessed, blessed. If that's you, if you want more and more and more, it's like this cup that cannot be filled up. You are considered blessed. Happy are you. So John 15, 4 says, to abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. What does it mean to abide in Christ? If I say to you, Danielle, where's your abode? What would you say? I don't know. I don't know where my abode is. What's your abode, Kelly? My house. That's your house. Well, where is your abode? Twin Lakes. Twin Lakes. <laughs> where, where are we to abide? Where is our abode to be? Christ in you is the hope of glory. To remain in Christ, you hear this, stay in Christ, or to be in Christ is to be constantly saturated with Christ through the scripture, scriptures. Okay, So to abide in Christ means that you are spending time here getting to know him. You're practicing submission to his will. That's abiding in Christ. You're looking to Jesus for answers. That's abiding in Christ. He is now taking up residence in you. He abides in you. He said, I abide in you, but we abide in him. So it's like this partnership. How do you get started? Set time aside. That's that's got to be it. Now, some of you may have to go to work at 10 o'clock in the morning. Or 11. Or 6. 6. Okay. Is it still too early to spend time in the morning? What do you have to do? Get up earlier. Get up earlier. I told the Lord, I told the Lord this. I said, because someone said you have to spend time early in the morning. Well, I'm not an early morning riser. Lord, if you want to spend time with me, then will you wake me up, please, at 6 o'clock? 6 o'clock sounded like a reasonable hour, right? So I went to sleep. I did not set my alarm. And this is what happened. I'm, I'm telling you the absolute truth. This was not a dream. It was like this. Jody. And a touch on my cheek. Boom, I was awake. I looked at my clock straight up and down, 6 o'clock. 
He wants to spend time with you. He knows that the flesh is weak, but he is there to help you. It was hard for me in school. I did not like to read. I wasn't a reader. I hated history. I hated English. I hated all of that stuff, and math was the worst. But he taught me how to enjoy the scriptures, how to study. There were times, I mean, I would get going in it, and he can tell you two or three hours later, I'm still going because it's just so much there. And then throughout the day, I'll be, I'll be doing something, and a thought will come into me, and I'll go, okay, I've got to go write that one down. Boom, write it down. In the middle of the night, are you serious? Okay, i got to get up and write it down. You know what I mean? So how does he communicate with us? It's through his word. He'll put in these thoughts that you need to remember. And what you spend in the word during that day, he's going to have you share with somebody else. So it's not just for you. Okay, make preparation. Have a place that you enjoy. Find a special place that you enjoy. A room with a nice, well, maybe not too comfy of a chair, but, you know, with some light, some natural light. Um, and, and have your materials ready, too. Now, I told you I have, I have to have sticky notes. I have a, notepads with me. I have pens. If I had, I don't know if I have my colored pens here, but I have a Ziploc bag with all these colored, different colored um, liners. So I have yellow, I have red, I have fine markers. So have some materials ready. Some of you may not want to do it that way. That's how I do it. Okay? When, okay, I just told you, when I study, I use highlighters and underline, write notes, etc. And then pray. Start your Bible study with prayer. We don't know where to begin, but he knows where we should begin for us, for each individual. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit's the one who guides you into all truth. So if we do away with the Holy Spirit, then we're not going to learn truth. It's the Holy Spirit that does that, so you need to ask for him. Ask him to guide you. And in your prayer, ask the Lord also. This is something that I like to do. Lord, if there's something that we need to talk about in my life, will you please... Um, will, will you please... Okay, just show it to me. You know how hard it is to ask him to show you something in your life? Because we sometimes don't want to know. We want to think everything's cool. But there might be something that, that he says, we need to work on this area. Ask him that in prayer. And then listen, Ingrid. That's a good question. Ingrid is asking, where do you start? How do you know is a good place to start? If you're brand new and you want, to, what's the purpose of the Bible study? To know, get to know Jesus. Start in the Gospels. Gospel of John typically is the easiest one. So start in the Gospel of John. You may not want to use a King James Version. You may want to find a, a more contemporary version to get to know him. I like to have the King James, New King James there. The New King James Bible actually takes the King James Version and translates those words for you. So the modern language that you hear is a translation of those harder words. So I thought that was pretty awesome. But starting in the book of John is good for those who um, are new at it. I don't recommend Romans, but that's where the Lord told me to start. Okay, what she said was that she went to a week of prayer and they encouraged the students to put bookmarks in Genesis and Psalms and Proverbs and in the New Testament so you could read a little bit of each every day. So just read through 
Yes. You take the old with the new. We don't just, we're not just New Testament Christians here. All right. Steps to Christ says this. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse. Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. That's page 95 out of Steps to Christ. I didn't know how to pray, but he taught me, and my prayers are very simple, very childlike at the very beginning. Now, um, I put a prayer closet in my house. My husband put a shelf in there because I'm a desky person. So there's a shelf in there. I've got my sticky notes. I've got a little pin caddy. I've set it up like an office, okay? But um, that's where I go. It's my closet. I took my clothes out of our closet and put it in another one. So that's my closet. And I have a little chair in there, and it's quiet, and that's where I can go and pray. And as I'm praying for people, I'm asking God to give me a promise for them. And so <clears throat> a promise will come to my mind. I'm going to write it on the sticky note with that person's name on it, and bam, it goes on my wall. And so I see, and I have sticky notes all over the wall now. So... Have a place where you can pray. A prayer closet is a good one. Journaling is good also. Um, you know, writing your prayer requests and writing answers as they come. And then going back at the end of the year and reading how God has led, how he's answered your prayers. Fellowship is important. Do not forsake assembling together. If you're sick and you can't go to church, then by all means, turn on 3ABN. But as much as is possible, Spend your time in church. I know during the summer, it's great. You want to go out and camp with a family and get away. You're going to have your own little church. That's fine. But by all means, don't make that a regular practice week after week after week. Why? Because that church needs you. And you need that church. And that's how, you know, the, the apostles got together. They met together. They encouraged one another. They had fellowship. And that's how the church grew. So... Have fellowship. This is my granddaughter and my two grandnieces. Malachi 3.16 says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditated upon his name. So if you want to have some, some good journaling in the books of heaven, go to church and Sabbath school and prayer meeting and encourage one another. Amen. And he's going to write it down. Why does he write it down? Because we have an accuser who wants to accuse us before God. And he says, look, I've kept careful records too. You just look on page oh, whatever. We'll find it. And it's important to share your faith. We're talking about how do you keep your experience alive? Sharing your faith. Who, me? Okay, so... I had, <laughs> I had experienced poorly chosen relationships when I was a teenager. I ended up with my heart broken several times. And, but when I became a Christian, I expected that things would be different in the church. But they weren't. Um, I was invited to go to a camp meeting, my very first one, down in Oregon. It was the Oregon camp meeting. And I went with this med student from Loma Linda who was... Uh, nephew of some of that I knew in the church, and so I felt that was safe to do. And so uh, we went down there, and he bring. I mean, he he said, "I'm bringing the food. Don't worry about a thing." So we go down this river, and I'm thinking, "This is so cool. I feel safe. We're Christians. I don't have to worry about someone wanting to take advantage of me here." 
So he spread out the blanket, he brings out the basket, he puts out the plates and some food, and then he brings out a bottle of wine and some stemmed glasses. And it's like, okay, I've got to make a choice here. Did I want relationship with somebody? Yeah, I did. He was cute, a med student. But when I saw that, I chose. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not partaking of this. I'm going home. And I walked away from it. <laughs> Yay! And then I decided there were no Christian men. I'm going to be my friend Debbie. I'll show you a picture. This is Debbie. Debbie and I decided, <laughs> this may mean something to some of you, but we were going to be like Laverne and Shirley the rest of our lives. <laughs> we were going to, the Lord provided a friend for me. And we encouraged one another. We studied the Bible together. We prayed for each other. And we helped each other along our way. We were gunny sacks girls, okay? <laughs> but um, <laughs> we were going to get this van together and pick up hitchhikers and tell them about Jesus. Well, my mother did not like that idea. <laughs> okay, there was this coffee shop. So I'm, I'm getting my first experience in witnessing. There was a coffee shop in town where, where the, you know, People would hang out and, you know, they're playing their guitars and they're singing their songs and drinking herbal tea and, you know, all this stuff. And so Debbie says, hey, let's go down there and see if we can't witness. Why don't you bring your guitar, Jody? I thought, who, me? Yeah, bring it. It'll be cool. So I brought my guitar. And you see that this is not the place, but there's a stool up there and you could, you could sing. And I thought, okay, well, as long as I can sing a Christian song, that'll be my way to witness. So I'm up there, and I'm playing my song, um, the one that he heard me do when he first met me in church. And, and it was cool. It was great. I thought, witnessing is so much fun. If it's like this all the time. Okay, so he, well, <laughs> he walks into my church. Now, he told his side of the story. I'm going to briefly tell you that. So I'm up there singing my song, right? And I noticed that these guys walk in, and my first thought was, backsliders. I know them anywhere, right? And I'm going to win them back to Jesus. So after Sabbath school, where all these preppy young adults were, my friend Debbie and I went up and introduced ourselves. Now, I am not interested in a relationship whatsoever. I'm after souls. And so we introduced ourselves and welcomed them to church he went his way, we went our way, went in, and I, I started some kind of a rebellion with some of the other young adults. We went outside and we we're going to have our own church out there. That's why I was called into the pastor study after services. But he and Tim were still there. And of course, he told the story about driving away, and the Lord says, nope, you go back. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going back. Yes, I'm going back. But that's when we met. We went up into the mountains together. Tim played a flute. I brought my guitar, and so it was the four of us, Jed and Jody and Tim and Debbie. And we had a wonderful Sabbath. I'm telling you, I'd never had a Sabbath like that. We shared our, our journey together. We talked about our goals, what we wanted. We're not interested in a relationship. We're not flirting to get attention. We're focused on heaven. We've got a job to do, and we're going to do it for the Lord. So he spent, I mean, they left that Sabbath, but he came back. So like every weekend, he came back up to Yakima. We spent time together. 
Well, I told my mom about the plan that Debbie and I had about getting a van and we're going to travel and pick up hitchhikers. We went up to Tipsu Lake. This is Washington State. Mount Rainier, isn't that beautiful? Snow-capped mountains. It's, that's great. Um, and she kind of thought, wait a minute. This hippie guy has a van. These girls want a van. And they're going to travel around and witness? I don't think so. But we did. One weekend he came up. The four of us went together down the gorge, the beautiful Columbia River Gorge. You'll see Washington is over on, the, on this left. This is Oregon. This is Crown Point right here. It's really beautiful, scenic. And we're sharing one another. We're studying with one another. We're just lifting each other up. And we spent the entire weekend together in his van. I, your eyes just went up. Okay. So <laughs> it was totally innocent. It was, it was just innocent and perfect. So we were walking on the beach that Sabbath morning, just as those clouds are lifting up off the ocean. And I went, we all went our own different ways to have our personal time with the Lord. And somehow the Lord brought us back together on that beach. And we met we started talking a little bit, and he says, it may have been me, I don't remember, it was a long time ago. You know what verse I'm thinking about? And the other one said, Genesis 1, in the beginning. That's right, that's what I'm thinking. And so we walked together, and we talked about how we wanted to serve God with our whole heart. Now, he's much older than I am. Um, he robbed the cradle. He used to... Well, he, he shares this. She was in seventh grade when I graduated. Sixth. I was in sixth, sixth grade, grade when so you graduated. I always tease that during um, recess, recess, I'd go over and scope the, the sixth grade. <laughs> 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 this, is, this, is the route, this is the route that Lewis and Clark took. So any, about, uh, any, any of you here that are history buffs. Okay, so anyway, on the Oregon coast, that's where, we, that's where God put us together. God put us together. We've been in ministry together for 40 years. We started out that way. And um, I think it's, there's something different about having your relationship built first on your relationship with Christ and then let him build the relationship together so that together you walk with him. Uh, this is our honeymoon. Look at the hair on his head. He had lots of it. My grandparents, this is our van, my grandma was like 4'11", my grandpa was five foot, and yep, there's, there they are, our van. So where do I start? Where do you start? You need to pray and ask God for an opportunity, an open window, right? Where do you start? Get out of your comfort zone. How many of you like to share with others? It's hard for those of you who are shy. You may not feel like you have nothing to say. God will take care of it. Don't worry about it, he said. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that's going to give you words to say. So what do I say? I found this statement here. It says, as witnesses for Christ, we are to tell what we know, what we ourselves have seen and heard and felt, or our experience. We can tell how we have tested his promise and found the promise true. We can bear witness to what we have known of the grace of Christ. This is the witness for which our Lord calls and for want of which the world is perishing. Amen. 
Okay. It might just be a flash. You have a ch chance to tell somebody about Christ loves you, and that's all you can say. You go on your way. But that may be all he wants you to say. He doesn't want you to give someone a sermon. He just wants you to tell what you know, what you have experienced. What has his grace done in your life? For me, if I were to tell you what I know, what I personally have experienced, my life was empty. I had nowhere to go, and Jesus Christ filled my void and changed my life. I'm no longer, as you can tell, this skinny little girl who stands up against the wall with a Dutch boy haircut, saddle shoes, and stirrup pants that don't stay up. And it's called Dumb Deweese. You can call me whatever you want, but I know who I am in Christ. Okay? I'm not Dumb Deweese anymore. I'm Jody Jensen. And yes, I will sometimes back away from a crowd and just sit and watch. That's just, I, I am shy. But when God gives me the opportunity, then it's Him speaking to you, not me. Psalm 40, verse 10 says, I will not hide thy righteousness within my heart. You can't. Because when you accept Christ, there is born in you, in your heart, a desire to make known to others what a precious friend you have found in Christ. It's put there. If you don't know it's there yet, then you need to talk with him about making sure that your heart is right with him. Because when you are born from above, he puts that desire in your heart. Why? Because others need to know what you know. They need to come to Christ too. The Lord has taken us to many places together. We've been to New York City three different times. In a, uh, they had a van ministry there and uh, handing out sandwiches and soup to homeless people on the streets of New York City. My daughter was seven years old when she was standing outside that van. People just walking past not looking, but they'll reach out and grab whatever you have, look at it, and throw it in the trash. But it was in the trash. Somebody else is going to see it. We've been to Belize. He had me preaching before thousands of people, me by myself, in the Philippines. We went as a group, but sometimes, I mean, Filipinos are bold. They'll say, okay, you, 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 you come with us. You go with them. And you, you're preaching today. All right. But he, he changes us. If you don't think you've got it in you, watch out, because he'll bring it out in you. Tell how you have tested his promise and found the promise true. The promise was, he said to me, he would never leave me nor forsake me, and that he has called me by my name. I am his. All these promises are stuck in my heart. They're for me when I need them. Now, 2 Peter 3.18, I don't think that's the right verse. It says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be a partaker. That's 2 Peter 1.4, right? Yeah. 1.4 should be the reference there. You might want to make that change. And Psalm 34.8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts him. Now, I had to learn to trust God. And I learned... The way he taught me was by answering my prayers. I was working in a restaurant, and I would get tips. So I kept my quarters in a jar, and then I'd roll them up. And so I was saving up to buy a car. 
and I had $200 in rolled quarters saved up to buy my car. And this was back in 1975 and 76. And back then you could actually buy a used car for a $200 down payment. So I asked my dad, can we start looking for a car? And he said, sure, let's start looking. So I picked up a giant nickel or one of those papers, right? I had in my mind what kind of car I wanted. Okay, Second Peter 1.4. I had in mind what I wanted. It was a 1976 Monza 2 plus 2 is what I wanted. But I did not say that to the Lord. I just prayed for a car. I said, Lord, I have $200. Help me get a car, please. Okay, so he's going to answer my prayer. So in this paper, guess what ad I find? For sale, takeover payments, 1976 Monza 2 plus 2 hatchback, $200 and take over payments. And I'm just like, what? I can't believe it. God answered my prayer exactly as what was in my heart. Isn't there a promise that says he'll give you the desire of your heart? So we went, now this is not the actual car, but this is kind of what it looked like. Mine was black outside with red and white interior. It was a bicentennial edition. I was so happy with that. I did. I bought the car. I gave that lady $200 in rolled quarters. And she gave me the key and the payment booklet. And that was my car. I mean, my faith. I'm learning to taste and see that the Lord is good. When we first got married, this was our, our promise we claimed together. Philippians 4, 6. This is out of the Living Bible. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Simple, right? So we continued claiming promises, memorizing them. What did I say? Memorizing. memorizing them. That's what you need to do, memorize. Write Bible verses down. Write promises down on a 3 by 5 card and post them all over your house. By seeing them often, guess what's going to happen? That's going to start translating in your brain. Philippians 4.13 was another one. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, why do I have a picture of a toilet with that Bible verse? There's a story behind that. Uh, you know, we were just poor kids when we got married. And we, it was hard to make ends meet. He was doing construction, and it's feast or famine, right? And so <laughs> I'm a, a young mother at home. I've got a baby. I'm washing diapers in the bathtub hanging them all over the place because I didn't have money for the laundromat, and I'm crying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to have to eat beans and rice again. You know, we had Puerto Rican friends, and that's what they ate, so we got hooked on beans and rice. And so I'm just kind of praying God's going to get us out of this doldrums. And so one day I'm cleaning my bathroom, and underneath the doily, you know, there isn't one on this one, but underneath the doily on the back of the tank was a folded-up $50 bill. Where in the world did that come from? God just dropped it out of the sky, I guess. So we're sharing this at prayer meeting, right? The miracle that God did at prayer meeting. And then our friends, Raul and Carolyn, came up afterwards and said, I'm so thankful you found that. I put that there about three weeks ago. <laughs> but God let me find it. Sometimes he, lets, he wants us to continue to press him. It's not just pray once and here you go. It's to build our faith to build our trust, to build patience, to wait upon him. We had people, we'd hear this in the middle of the night, and we'd hear running, we'd go answer the door, and they're 
couple bags of groceries at our doorstep. You know, God took care of our needs. We claim the promise, and he did it. He's building our faith. We decided that we were going to pay tithe and pay 10% offering. Lord, how are we going to do this? And I keep record of all my outgoing bills, how much we come in. You should know me by now that I'm going to have columns, okay? Outgoing bills, cost, income, this is what we have at the end. And it never, never came with a plus balance. How are we going to do this? But we need to trust God. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and Try me now, he says, that I will not open, to see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And so we did that. We took God at his word. And he said, Lord, here it is. It was, it was hard. We paid tithe, 10% tithe, 10% offering. It was hard to give that. Submitting to God is hard sometimes. But when you do it and trusting God, I will trust you. I have to trust you with this. And he says, that's where I want you trusting me you know what after we did that I always had a plus balance there's always some left over the way he worked was miraculous he got hurt at work labor and industries came through and paid for it but because our income level dropped we were living in low-income housing our rent was based on our income level so we went from $200 rent to $2 rent God took care of everything I'd find money in my guitar case. People would ask me, can you babysit for me? Here's $20 for the day. So we had what we needed for every day. Very rich experience. Tell what you have known of the grace of Christ. Grace is undeserved favor, but it's also constant agreement with God. What have I known of the grace of Christ? When I thought it was all right because I didn't do drugs and alcohol, He revealed to me that I'm just as lost because I didn't have him. But he said, you can have me. And I accepted him. And he received me. And he cleansed me and made me right with him. Christ's Object Lessons, page 148. Your testimony and its genuineness he will make powerful in the life to come. The word of the Lord will be in your mouth as truth and righteousness. God adds power to your testimony. Now, what if you feel like you don't have one? You've not been out there and, you know, in the, the gutter. You've always been kind of a, a church person your whole life. This is a song that my daughter sang. It says, I felt sometimes I didn't have a story I could share. I wasn't rescued from a past, destroyed by dark despair. Oh, but Jesus, I have memories of the times that we've been through, and I wouldn't trade one moment of growing up with you. I came to love you early. I came to know you young. You touched my heart, dear Jesus, when my life had just begun. I gave you my tomorrows and a childish heart of sin, and you saved me from a lifetime of what I might have been. That, my friends, is a testimony. God's grace can save you from what you might have. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him. Who's him? By what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's how you overcome the devil. So yoking with him in service. And I'm sorry, but I am running out of time. To be yoked with service 
is one of the keys to maintaining your relationship with Jesus. We become tired and sleepy and drowsy when we're not busy and active, right? So get out there. The yoke that Jesus speaks of is a common instrument of labor. These animals are yoked together. We are yoked together with Christ in service for him. Doing, getting involved in outreaches through your church, starting outreaches through your church, starting small groups in your church, leading people, sharing your testimony. That's how you grow. That's how you keep it alive. If you just go home and live your life, just me and my house, you're going to stagnate. He wants you out there. It's like bird pushing you out of the nest now. You've been given gifts and talents. Use them for his service and don't waste them. Sing if you have to. Be involved in Pathfinders. Do a Bible study. Get involved in community services. And we worked with a food bank. Every week we were there. I met Minnie at the food bank. And she was this Mexican woman with four little kids and, and low income. I mean, she's coming to a food bank. But we developed a relationship. I would not have met Minnie had I not been at the food bank. She asked me one time if I could come and help her find Jesus. Okay? So we went to her house, and she spoke Spanish. Her aunt was there. She had a cousin. She had a couple of friends there. None of them understood English. So I'm telling her about Jesus, and what is she doing? Translating to them. When she'd hear it from me, she'd translate it to them. It comes back to her ear in her language that she can understand. You're not going to meet those people if you're not out there. I taught Minnie how to do tomatoes. I taught her how to make bread. She, I had an abundance of tomatoes. I said, Minnie, come on over and I'll help you can these. Really? Yeah, it'll help you, you know? She didn't want to open those jars. They were so beautiful. It was just like gold to her. Bread is a language of love. You don't know what to say to somebody? Bake a loaf of bread and take it to them. That'll speak loudly, okay? And remember, this is important. Testimonies, volume 9, page 10. We have nothing to fear for the future, except we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. You're not going to fear the future, except you forget how God has led. Those of you who want to journal, keep those journals. I have several journals, that, I'm sorry, that we have filled out. And we go back through and we reread them so that we can remember how the Lord has led us. And what does it do to our faith? Bolsters it. It helps us. Now, I can stop here, or I can continue on for a few more minutes and tell you about being prepared for trial. You want to, how many of you can stay? All right. If they have to cut it short, you know, they might, I don't know if they have a limit on their recording. So, being prepared for trial. All of this stuff... All your, if you're building your spiritual house, your foundation is the word of God, and then you start claiming promises, you see that God is real and that he loves you, and it's built, your faith is being built to prepare you for trial. If you don't have your, excuse me, your foundation, when that trial comes, what's going to happen? It's going to take you down, right? The house is going to fall down. This is one of my least favorite verses in the whole Bible. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. The reason why this was my one of my least, well, my least favorite verse is because when I shared about my 
two ectopic pregnancies, I did not know how any good could come from it. I did not see the good in it. You didn't share that. That was the Wednesday. I shared it. Yeah, I did. But... But this is, the, this is the last part of it. We were doing a week of prayer, and I had just resigned myself. Lord, I don't know why, but I'm just going to trust you anyway. So years go by, right? And I'm, I'm kind of over that, but it's still kind of in my mind. We're doing a week of prayer, and we would share it similar to what we're sharing with you, with the students. And I'm about ready to talk about how discouraged and how doubt and fear was overcoming me, and that I didn't get it. Lord, I don't get it, okay? When it's like, it's like here I am speaking, and then I'm just stopped, frozen. You know how they stopped the reel? And there's a, a messenger from heaven comes and says, I've got the answer for you now, Jody. Boom, there it is. And in my mind, instantaneously, it was there. He says, I know. Why? And here's the good. You're right. I did perform a miracle. I had hemorrhaged so badly, there was no possibility of me ever conceiving again. But I did. I did perform a miracle for you. Yes. But the greater miracle was this, Jody, that my grace is stronger than your doubt and fear and stronger than your encouragement. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I got you through it. I was with you. That's a greater miracle than giving you another child. And so it's okay, Lord. I can handle that. So this, this is Kevin. I had a new assignment after we left our protective bubble of self-supporting education. And um, my husband prayed as we decided to leave after 21 years from working in this institution. He prayed this, Lord, send us to the darkest place in the world so that we can live out the gospel and people can see Jesus living in us. And so he sent us 100 miles west to Yakima, Washington. Yakima, Washington is where I grew up. That's where we met. Yakima, Washington per capita population of 89,000 at that time is equal with Miami, Florida for vice, crime, drugs, meth, violence per capita. I thought, uh-oh, I guess he did send us to the darkest area. So my new assignment is I am plunged into a GED lab for at-risk teens, these kids who can't make it in the regular school system. They've been kicked out. They're gangsters. They're felons. They're drug dealers. They're pushers. They're pregnant. They're prostitutes. They're pimps. I had them all in my classroom. My first day, they're walking in, holding up their pants with their hoodies, walking in, and they're dogging, and they're they got their sign language going, and this was my new experience. And I cried to the Lord, Lord, you made a mistake here. I don't belong here. Get me out. Well, my bad boys were my first experience. I had four of them came in, and man, they caused a whole bunch of trouble. We had computers that lined the lab. It was about this big, actually, and on every one of them was this rap music or MTV, nasty stuff, 
and kids are just out of control. Now, I had control of my classroom when I was teaching, but here, this is beyond me. So I just prayed to God to get me out of there. And he says, you can't minister. You're not ready. You cannot share with others what I've done for you. Why? Because I had built up prejudice in my mind already. I was afraid of them. So I'm doing my devotions, and I'm over here in the book of Jeremiah, and I'm reading this, okay? Behold, when he says that, what does that mean? Pay attention. Pay attention. I have put my words in your mouth. I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to plant and to build. I am in this lab. Jody, you are here with these kids to show them Jesus. You're going to root out and build up. You're going to root out their life, give them a new hope. Okay, but that didn't come to, I mean, I didn't realize that that's what it was for me. But then when I got down here, Chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, prepare yourself, get up, and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed by their faces, lest I dismay you before them, still not realizing what's going on. Then I get down here to verse 19. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. And then he says, this is for you, those kids. This is those kids, Jody. I thought, Lord, why me? Like Jeremiah, I'm but a child. I cannot speak. I can't come in and go out. This is Kevin. Does he look a little intimidating to you? <laughs> Kevin was six foot three and over 300 pounds. Now... Kevin wore this thing on his head. It's like a hairnet. They call it a do-rag. I called it a do-daw. <laughs> it was a rule. You couldn't wear those. Okay, I'm supposed to be in charge. I have to enforce the rule. Kevin comes in. He's this big boy. And I'm a white woman with gray hair in the classroom. Silver. It was white. I'll show you a picture if you don't believe me. And I have to tell Kevin he's got to take that thing off. I say, Kevin, you've got to take that off. Say what? You've got to take that doodah off. That, that what? I mean, he was indignant with me. And he says, do you know what's going to happen if I take this off? And I said, well, go get some water, put it on there. I don't care. But Kevin was um, a very special young man to me. He was 17. Kids could only be there until they were 18 and they were out on their own. But my kids would come in there not having breakfast. Many of them slept in cars or outside. They had no homes. They were homeless, a lot of them. And so I decided, you know, the Lord told me, put some food in there. Get a table, bring some food. So I used my own money, bought oatmeal packets, muffins, cereal, milk. I put a little coffee pot thing for hot chocolate. I had juice. I had fresh fruit. You know, it was spread out. These kids would come in, and they go, wow. And they're eating. And you know what? Things changed in the room when they were eating. Kevin comes in. He eats, right? So I'm noticing one day, I just put a big old box, Costco box of oatmeal packets. What happened to it? 
<laughs> I know kids don't like instant oatmeal that much. But I caught Kevin stuffing those packets in. And so I went up and I said, hey, brother, what are you doing? And he was so embarrassed. I could tell he blushed. Oh, man, Jody. Is this, uh, look, I have no home, okay? And I'm hungry. This gets me through till tomorrow. I said, then take it all. You don't have to take it like this. Just come and talk to me about it. Leo was another one. He was mean looking. He was forced to go to that GED lab. His PO officer, parole officer, brought him in and said, this boy needs to stay here. If he leaves, you call me. Leo did not want to be there. So, you know, my job is to give him the, here's a booklet. It's a placement booklet. Give him a pencil. Do the test. Just do the best you can. It's just to let me know where to start you in your GED process. So others are doing their stuff, but Leo, he's just like, Talking back there, some obscenities and causing problems over there and distracting. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, help me. Hey, Leo. Now be quiet, okay? Just, just be real quiet and work, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, miss. No problem. So pretty soon he's doing the same thing three times. And I said, Leo, if you can't work quietly here, I've got a nice room over there that you can work. Yeah, no problem, miss. So he does it again. And so I'm thinking, God, I'm going to have to enforce my rule. <laughs> so finally, I said, help me, God. He says, don't be afraid of their faces. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail, for I am with you. Leo, take your stuff. You're in there. Okay, so I look as teacher-ish as I can. <laughs> he stands up, towers over me swipes everything across the room, cusses me out, says, you can't make me. I said, you're right, but I can call security. And out he went. What do I have to do? I have to call his PO. He's going to be really mad at me. PO comes and, and uh, gets a report and everything. So the next day, this is Friday, I get to the office of you know, the lab early. Guess who's waiting for me? Bright and early. He's sitting outside the door. I said, Lord, please somehow tell my family that I love them. <laughs> and, you know, forgive me for any sin. Just make sure I'm right with you, Lord. And um, so he says, don't be afraid. It's okay. So I went and greeted him. Morning, Leo. How you doing? Grumble, grumble, grumble. I said, are you going to the fair? <laughs> are you kidding? I can't afford to go to the fair. And I said, look, my brother printed up some tickets. I'll give you four of them. Come on in. Say what? I said, yeah. And I've got those wristbands. Come on in. I'll give them to you. My brother gave them to me to give away. From that point, Leo and I were friends. But see, it's all about all about having, using that desire that he put in you. I have so many stories of these kids. Let me see what I, what I absolutely need to tell you, and then we'll go. Oh, this, you have this statement on Acts of the Apostles, page 524, on your outline. I'd like for you to read that. Um, it's full of wonderful um, 
encouragement. This one here, the Ministry of Healing, page 474. If you don't understand why you have some of the trials that you have and you don't have an answer right now, this one has meant so much to me. In the future life, the mysteries that here have annoyed and disappointed us will be made plain. Amen? We shall see that our seemingly unanswered prayers and disappointed hopes have been among our greatest blessings. Working with those kids was like the best experience in my life because it taught me a lot about myself. And I could actually show them a loving Savior, somebody who didn't already know all the answers. So let's go ahead and have prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you have given for us to do for you. And I pray that each one of us will ask you, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? Because it's in service, it's in giving ourselves to him in service that he gives himself to us. And we want more and more and more of you, more of Jesus in our lives so that we can reflect him to the world and then you will come. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to share with these folks this week. And I ask them to pray for us as we go on. In Jesus' name, This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.